We get to hear all of the scriptures for today. And the first is from Daniel chapter 1, and this will serve as the basis for the sermon today. We're going to read almost the entire chapter. And it's, it's nice to remember the setting that the book of Daniel begins with, and that is that Daniel was from Judah, probably even Jerusalem, one of the nobles or even of the royal family, but Jerusalem had been captured by King Nebuchadnezzar and this bursting at the seams Babylonian empire. And so King Nebuchadnezzar takes many of these captives, especially these nobility and rulers of Judah, and takes them away. And now he's in a foreign country, and he's under King Nebuchadnezzar, and he's been asked to serve in the king's court. This is how it goes. Then the king, that's King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should, it, why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them 
And he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. The word of the Lord. My dear friends in Christ, when you hear the word government, I like to do word association things or like what comes to mind to kind of get into into the environment a little bit with you. When you think of the word government, what comes to mind? You probably think of our nation. Maybe you see a flag. You think of our government in Washington, D.C. and you, and, and state rulers and a national ruler and a president and a Supreme Court and things like that. You think of our government. But I think there's another government I would love you to see first. First and foremost, like a beginning and an end to government. And that's something that Daniel saw in this chapter, chapter 1. And it's something that he saw in a vision. I think he knew it by faith, but he also saw it in a special vision later in chapter 7. This is the government that Daniel got to see in chapter 7. Listen to this. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Government. One. Coming with the clouds of heaven, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom will never be destroyed. One, that's government. That dominion, that kingdom, that rule, that finish to every prayer of the day for you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit. You live and reign. You are an active, living authority, reigning and living over all things. Ah, to think, to think you have the God of heaven and earth who has come so low as to purchase and win you from sin and out of death and hell. And not only that, but to take up the King of Kings place and the Lord of Lords place over all time and place and all peoples under heaven. And he would rule them in his dominion and his kingdom. And that's, that's government. That's government. It's what I want you to see when you hear the word government. We can talk about God's government 
because it is his rule guiding, directing, and controlling all the affairs of all things for his purposes. There's one road already paved and laid out and it ends at eternity with God. It ends with judgment day. Jesus will be the one who enforces his rules, which is what governments do. They enforce their rules meant for the safety of the people, but Jesus will enforce his word on the last day. He is a governor. He is a king and a lord with his government. And it's so beautiful for us as believers to say whatever's in front of me right now this is still on a path that I know only goes one way and finishes with my Jesus, the great judge. Psalm 96, I had to put those verses in there for that reason. In our responses in the beginning, say to the nations, the Lord is God. Tell him he's coming. He's coming to judge the whole earth. There is a, there is a government. There is an ultimate government before us. He will judge, what did you say to me? He will judge the nations with righteousness and the peoples with faithfulness. That's what it said. He will. He will. It's our maturity given by God and how we see government. This is what I want you to see when you see government. I want you to look up. I want you to smile. And when you see Jesus doing Jesus thing, because there's nothing else that can happen in your life. Now, try comparing your 2020 with Daniel's 2020, with Daniel's year that he had here. Daniel, happy resident of Judah, right? Happily in the, among the nobility, possibly even in the royal family, and serving his Lord, worshiping God. There weren't all Jews worshiping God in a true way at that time. But Daniel did, and he listened to his word, and he remembered a hundred years ago, before his day, when Isaiah was talking and saying that Babylon was going to come because of this idolatry and this sin of the people who had turned their hearts away from their God and their Lord, the one true king, and had wandered astray, right? Daniel paid attention, and he knew that they needed to repent and that this nation, this nation of Babylon, this, this foreign power, was going to come by God's plan. Daniel had quite the year as he watched his city fall and Jerusalem turn to rubble and his temple torn down. How about that for your year? Do you see an army surrounding Denver and all of its suburbs tearing the city apart, taking its people captive to a foreign place who don't speak your language? and don't worship the true God, and they tear your churches to pieces and drag you off to their territory. That was Daniel's 2020. Which would you take now? God knows that there are things that threaten a nation and its stability and the peace that we might take for granted. And it's things like war that Daniel had to go through, a foreign power that can completely flip your world upside down. And it's things like a pandemic and and disease. And the other one that God mentions in the Bible is famine. 
that that can create a very hard time for a people in a nation trying to keep things under control. This was Daniel's 2020. And not only that, but when he got there, it was uh, what we are introduced to in Daniel chapter 1 is really the vision of King Nebuchadnezzar. Listen to this. In Daniel's 2020, he was brought into this foreign power, maybe with more than a chip on his shoulder, and, or at least you would expect that. And he went in there, and King Nebuchadnezzar wanted, in his thought process, he wanted some of these foreigners with ruling experience to be in his council. He wanted them around him. Would you want to serve that? I'm sorry, you, did, you just did what to my temple? You just took what, what temple goods and put them in front of your own altar? You just did what with our stuff? What with my friends? Not all of them survived. And you're pagan? You worship whom? You have no respect for the word of God? You are pagan pigs. I'm not going to do, I'm going to go over here in a corner. You're going to have to throw me in jail otherwise, or I'm going to go in a corner and complete isolate myself, self-quarantine over here, because I don't want to have nothing to do with your government or your prosperity or your blessing in this place. I serve the Lord, and he's bigger than Babylon. So take that, Goliath. I'm doing the David thing, and I'm going to show you who's boss. What if Daniel did that? What if that's his approach? You don't tell me what to do. Train me in Aramaic and change my name and ask me to read up on the literature of the Babylonians and learn your culture and like invest in my time here. But that's not faith speaking, is it? Daniel knew that this was not just King Nebuchadnezzar who had done to Jerusalem what he wanted to do. He had seen above the clouds the one who stands in authority and whose dominion never changes and who is using this for the people's good. And what if you got a letter? Would it help if you got a letter from God in your captivity, in your exile? Listen to this. It's just striking. It's kind of how the scriptures speak to each other. There are historical portions in the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah contemporary of the time, and he writes a letter to the exiles who are in Babylon. Jeremiah chapter 29. Can I read some of it to you? What if you got a letter and you're Daniel and you're like so down and out that all of this happened? Maybe you're not down and out. God was going to do his thing. And I get that. And this is what Jeremiah said to Daniel and the other exiles. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders. Doesn't that make it sound like there were those who died? but to the surviving elders among the exiles and the priests and the prophets and all the other people that Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what it says. Open the letter and read it. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. See how God claims this? To all those I carried, says God, all those I carried into exile. Who, who gave you the nation you're in? Who made this a country? Who let it function as long as it has and kept it stable to the degree that he has? Who, who's done that? God says, I did that. I gave King Nebuchadnezzar what he had 
and I allowed him to come and take you. I carried you. I carried you into exile, and this is what I say. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, don't decrease. God is saying, sink your teeth into this. You know, your toes are going to slide under the sand after a bundle of waves come along because... You're not going to get out in two days or two weeks or two months or two years. So build a house. Plant a field. In fact, God had given them a number already. 70 years. You're going to be there a while. Teenager Daniel was one of them. Taken into Babylon, hearing these words from Jeremiah, build a house, plant your field, have kids, don't just die off as a people in exile. Increase in numbers. And then Jeremiah writes this, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. That's your letter. If you're Daniel, Daniel and you got that letter and you say, I trust the Lord and I know that he is reigning and ruling over all things and he told me to seek the prosperity of this place because he's put me here and this, this government now is my government. This prosperity is my prosperity. I am much a part of this as any other part of the 200 square miles that the city of Babylon was. <gasps> 200 square miles! So now when King Nebuchadnezzar's official comes along, he's looking for young strapping men who are able to understand and learn, who are well informed. Why? Because King Nebuchadnezzar, even with just human reason and not with scripture, he wants to rule a people well. And he wants to govern these people with well-informed rulership. And he's kind of grabbing at all the possible edges he can get on intelligence. He's got his magicians and his enchanters, and he's got his Daniels alongside him. And he's got this whole court of people where he's looking, I want you to give me the best intelligence so we can rule and govern this land. And he's, in his wisdom, he didn't say, I'm going to make all the Israelites full-time slaves. Or I'm going to take all the Israelites and kick them out of their land. I never want to see any of them again. Instead, he incorporated them into his life. And he's going to ask Daniel to, in, to be involved in his service of his pagan government. The same King Nebuchadnezzar who feeds people to the den of lions and throws them in a fiery furnace. And his own chief official is scared that if Daniel and his four friends don't look healthy enough at the end, the king is going to have my head. <laughs> would you walk on needles just a little bit around King Nebuchadnezzar with that kind of an environment? But this is what he wanted to do. He wanted to govern people, and you know, as well as I do, the many tasks that are involved for the 22 million federal and state government jobs we have in our country. 22 million people employed for governing. That's a lot of people doing a lot of different things for the sake of health and safety, peace and stability in an area. 
Is it perfect? Is Nebuchadnezzar perfect? Does it have its strengths? Does it have its weaknesses? Like any earthly government, the Babylonian Empire would stand for a hundred years and then King Cyrus comes and wipes it all out. Daniel served the entirety of the Babylonian, the rest of the Babylonian Empire until King Cyrus showed up. That was the last verse. Did you hear that? If you're in Daniel's position, which you are, you have the chance to be a part of a nation. Your letter is Jeremiah 29. And your letter is Romans chapter 13. And your letter is the teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. I have a fear that without this letter, we would just see people in government. We would just see failures and sinners. And that's all we would do. We get all up in arms at the wrong decisions people are making, the disagreements which we have with the way the government is being run. And if you only saw people, and if you only saw the human aspect of it, you'd be putting your trust in it to save your next four years. And if not, if the election goes the other way, then you'd be losing those four years. And it would be like this you know, place of no return. It'd be like this all or nothing kind of environment that either throws you into a false hope or a false despair. Like, woe is us. We don't have the government that shines with all the truths of God's word in it. We shouldn't expect it. The government is there to use power to control behavior outwardly. And it does it with the sword. It does it with the den of lions. And it does it with the threat of a fiery furnace. And it does it in the name of King Nebuchadnezzar to make sure he has his court or he's going to have the chief official's head. It has all of this involved in it. But if you, if you fall into a, a sinful approach to government, you'd be looking to it in this, in this way that is either too invested in it to save your time or too burned out by it to get involved in a way that God would allow you to get involved and seek the prosperity of your nation. And in the middle is a trust in God that says, as long as this government endures, I will submit, I will serve, I will pray for its prosperity and I will get involved in any way that the government permits, whether it's voting or legislation or writing letters or, or whatever kind of Christian citizen role that I can have in being a part of the prosperity and making decisions that I feel are for the benefit of businesses and neighbors around me. So you do that. It's a, it's a, it's a faith mature view at how God has put a government around us, seeking the prosperity of the place in which we live and avoiding the pitfalls of getting overly angry, overly dependent, overly riled up and anxious and stressed out about something. Daniel had a stressor, by the way. Daniel's stressor was something the government was putting on his food plate that God forbid him to eat. God's word was in conflict with his government. And do you notice how he approached it? He asked 
permission. He was polite. He showed honor and respect to King Nebuchadnezzar. Why do you think Daniel was bothered by this food? Not only Daniel, but the other three with him, right? These four. And I wonder why there weren't more, by the way. Why aren't there more of the Israelites that they all would have been a control group going into this vegetarian experiment for 10 days? But they weren't. Instead, just these four had their consciences bothered by the food and the wine put in front of them. Now think about food and wine and how they would get to the king's table. Likely in a mixture of church and state where, where the king endorses the worship of Baal in Babylon or Marduk or, or whatever, where he's, he's endorsing this worship and they have their sacrifices of their meat in front of the altar and, their, and also the fruit of the vine as this fruitfulness and prosperity of your vineyards. So you would have these things be offered at the altar before they get processed and treated and end up on the banquet table, right? Where did this come from? It came from honor of this deity. And I don't think that Baal cared about pork and lamb like God did. And what kosher foods were for the Jews weren't the same for the Babylonians. So Daniel's like, the God that I have doesn't allow me to eat these foods or show honor and respect to those gods. So what do I do? I'll ask permission to have a different diet. And the chief official said, my head will be chopped off if you look famished at the end of three years. And he kept working and thinking and saying, how about this? Let's try an experiment. What if for 10 days we do vegetables and water? And the end of the 10 days, I submit to how you judge our appearance. Did you hear that? He did that. He said, do with us as you see our condition. And you can get us back to the meats if we look worse. And that's with the agreement. Daniel spoke up for what was important to him, but he also submitted to the authority of the Babylonian government. Doesn't it just surprise you? He put himself under that if God wanted to like wipe Nebuchadnezzar out and not send me into the den for this act of, of not wanting to eat the meat, so be it. That's God's decision to make to leave that government in place. I won't rebel. I won't revolt. I won't riot in the street. And so he didn't. Instead, he said, try the experiment and you deal with us as you see fit. I respect, I respect the authority you have because I know where it came from. Isn't that remarkable? And so it is with us. We speak up, speak up for things that you know are right and good for people and their prosperity. But at the end of the day, if that's not the rule, then we submit as long as it does not go against God's word. And if it goes against God's word and we say, I can't do this, then you face the consequences knowing that God has brought me into those consequences because he kept that government intact that would punish me for the disobedience when I had to honor the word of God and not the state. Does that, does that make sense? Can you believe that we get to see all of these things in Daniel chapter 1? That this teenager would stand up in the voice of faith. But where does it come from? It comes from one who understands the ruler of rulers and the king of kings and the lord of lords that God blesses in the midst of all kinds of sinful madness in this world. 
and has my life set on a path for my eternal good. So Daniel invested all of himself, the language, the learning, and God blessed it. God used him in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar for all those years. So it is for you, my dear friends in Christ, see the calling of God just as Daniel did with your government and not without it, not playing the judge yourself. Let God be the judge of your government. You be the servant, the participant, eager to vote, either eager to speak up, either to play the role of the best neighbor that you can be to your fellow citizens, having a say at the table. This is what we have in the election that's upon us, isn't it? All these different things that we get to, we get to vote on and participate in. And then we'll submit to the laws. We might not agree with it. Uh, Daniel might say, I don't agree that you should really execute the chief official if I look a little haggardly at the end. I don't agree that he should go to the den of lions. I think he's still a good, useful guy. But what am I going to do? You are the king, and God has let you be king. So be it. And he would submit to it. This is a wonderful attitude we can have that sees the overarching authority. My Lord Jesus first and foremost, suffered under Pontius Pilate. And that is enough to make sacred every suffering that happens under a government that doesn't always get it right or often gets it wrong. If I go to prison or a cross or a lion's den, because of my trust in the word of God. Deal with me as you see fit. But I know where I'm going to finish. Because I know who the, who the king is. I see him when I think government. Brothers and sisters, there is a day that is coming for you. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, by his grace and his goodness. And just as you long for that day, so you can see today, as the nation in which God has put your feet, and the voting opportunity that God has placed in front of you, and the civil involvement you get to have in discussions and debates about policy that's best for people. Go ahead. Seek the prosperity of your nation because God has you here right now. He hasn't come back yet, has he? And if he hasn't come back, he has you here to pray, to obey, to honor, to pay taxes, to serve your neighbor the best you can and make this nation the best you can. Oh, and maybe, just maybe, we would enjoy another era of peace and stability that we don't deserve but still gives us the chance to share good news with our neighbors. Really good news. The kind of news you could keep watching on TV and never tire of. The good news that is the gospel and the one thing we get to share with people whether we're in prison or not. God give us moments to make a wonderful crowd of 
and throng of holy people in the blood of Jesus because we've shared the gospel with them in the peace and prosperity of our nation. We had opportunity to knock on doors again without a pandemic and to invite neighbors in without having to wear face masks and to socialize and to mix and to share with them the word that they need when the judge of all the earth shows up at our door. That's, that's a moment. That's a moment. Fear, love, and trust in God above all things, not the temporal authorities. I will define it in a mature way. And with God, my government, and serve those who serve him. Amen.